everyone. This episode of Thank You for This Consult podcast is going to be on dementia. Anna, I feel like you're sitting much higher than me right now. And I, I am because you have the comfy chair and I have the shitty chair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. I'll suck it up because I'm not the one talking during this episode. You are. I feel like you're the king though. I'm like... So oh. lower than the king. Well, you know, clearly we both took it to be positive in the other person's favor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we t- that's true. <laughs> um, okay, so now today the episode is going to be on dementia. And um, I feel like every, I, I don't want to generalize, I feel like most people have dealt with this in, mm-hmm. in one way or another. Yeah either worrying about an older family member or, you know, a caretaker, knowing a caretaker, anything like that. I really feel like it's something that somewhere along the line most of us are going to have to to deal with. So many think of dementia as a normal part of aging. Um, You'll hear phrases like, oh, I just had a senior moment or oh like grandma grandpa they're just you know they're confused because they're old that's not necessarily true so you know it is hard what makes it more difficult is a lot of um confounding declines that are also going on at the same time that may you you know people may get confused as dementia um, it's re- it's pathology that you know doesn't happen in everybody. So um, there is uh, a famous cardiothoracic surgeon. Uh, his name was uh, Ellsworth Wareham, Wareham, and he lived to 104. And he worked in surgical cases until he was 95. So impressive. Yeah. So he led cases until he was. 75, and then he assisted after. So he was, you know, still a part of his field. He was a vegan. And can you guess where he lived? Japan. No. Oh, good, yeah. Good guess. <laughs> Loma Linda, California. Well, I knew the name wasn't really Japanese, but I just wanted to throw a shout out to Japan for having the oldest average lifespan. Yes, I I will get to that. <laughs> that's, a, that's why I got excited. So um, he lived in Loma Linda, and I have to give a shout out to uh, my friend I met on the plane on my way here. Hey, Randy, we were talking about uh, blue zones. So (laughs) a blue zone uh, is a concept developed by author Dan uh, Buettner, who, and it's used to describe an area where there are larger numbers of people over age 100 who are healthy. Oh. Yeah. So, um, and it can be attributed to the lifestyle, the culture. For example, in Loma Linda, there, uh, there's a large population of Seventh-day Adventists who, as part of, you know, their, you know, their uh, mission, embrace a healthy uh, vegetarian lifestyle, um, you know, no smoking or, or drinking, uh, exercise, things like that. So, um, you guessed one of the other blue zones, um, Okinawa, Japan, uh, Ikaria, Greece, Nicoya, uh, Costa Rica, and Sardinia, Italy are among the others. And Randy pointed out to me that are those towns like on the waterfront? Are they coastal communities? And I, I think most of them are. Now, and, and you know, two of them are Mediterranean, so you can point to the diet. But we all know that that's not every coastal community is in a blue zone. So I think that it, this is where you see the combination between environment and genetics, like the mm-hmm. nature and nurture. You can have the right genetics, but if you don't eat well and embrace the right lifestyle, it, the genetics don't mean anything. Yeah. So I also think that, um, you know, the the for years and years, people, you know, I don't want to say that there's like incest or, you know, marrying among <laughs> families, but these, they probably started from a couple of lines of families that over the centuries, you know, just the, that's how you get genetics. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, good genetics. So um, I encourage everyone to uh, watch the documentary. Uh, it's called 
If You're Not in the Obituary, Eat Breakfast. And it features Carl Reiner, and it showcases seniors who are thriving in their later years of life. And, it, you know, not only, you know, they're exercising, they're cooking, they're getting together, they go on walks, it's, it's amazing. But not only that, but it, it's thought that in your profession, in your occupation, kind of your life, you know, whatever you do, as you get older, you become an expert, you become better, you become more skilled um, at your profession. And when you retire at 66, you may not even be near your peak. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of taking away from society. So it's, it's better to have people who are older, um, you know, in the community, in their profession, in their circles. Well, I mean, when retirement ages were like when Social Security started in the early 60s, because life expectancy was only 10 years beyond that. And it doesn't really make sense in today's day and age when the life expectancy is a lot longer. You know, it's one thing to retire and still have hobbies and do things. But studies show that if you retire and you're just sitting at home watching TV, like you're actually going to take a lot of years off your life because that's not healthy and you're going to get depressed and all this. So retirement is good if you then can focus on doing things that you find enjoyable and still have things to keep you busy. But if you're just lying around in bed all day, like that's really not that great for you. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, but I do see the other side of the coin personally in my, my family. Um, my, my dad retired, about a year ago and his job was very stressful and it you know he just he had like a little countdown on his phone to like the day he retired (laughs) and um he now lives in like an over 55 community and he is in college he is essentially in college he goes to parties they have like sunday parties to like make fun of people have to work on monday he's drinking at this one's house or having dinner here he's like he loves it and he's so happy and so carefree and he's a new man so I I get kind of when you need out you need out Uh, I have a feeling he's gonna find something to do he he he's enjoying it but I feel like he'll still find some way to work and give back I mean if you're retired and you're actually still doing things that's great that make you happy the concern I guess is people who just end up doing nothing and get sad (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree. So there are some words that I wanted to define. Um, Encephalopathy. um, And, you know, you may hear, uh, like, a a doctor mention this if you have, you know, someone. Like, like a lot of times we use words and we forget to define them and we assume our patients and families know what they are. So it's defined by the National Institute of Neurologic Disorder and Stroke, also called NINS. Uh, any diffuse disease of the brain that alters brain function or structure, and that the hallmark of encephalopathy is an altered mental status. And it's often used interchangeably with delirium, correct? Correct. Correct. Um, And altered mental status can be both, and again, delirium can be both hypoactive, where, you know, they're a little bit more lethargic, um, not, you know, not themselves, or hyperactive, where they're, you know, yeah, and these are very generalized terms that are used to mean all, can it's like an umbrella term that can mean a lot of different things. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, and then the next word I will use a lot in this episode is aphasia. Um, and it's uh, difficulty with language, either uh, expressing and or understanding. And there's all different degrees. Either it could be just words, just repeating uh, sentences. There's a reading only. There's a whole, a, a whole lot of different types. So a lot of, uh, unfortunately, my, I have a theory on this. My guess is that people interchange dementia and Alzheimer's. And yes. I think it's because this is going to sound like so silly. Alzheimer's sounds like old timers. So that's how I think they, like, that was probably a joke, like, back in, like, the 1930s, and it's, you know. I just think it's because it's the most well-known. So people think it's, like, the same, you know, they're interchangeable. I just thought that was the reason. I I think so, too. (laughs) It's just (laughs) not true. And it's it's a disservice because Alzheimer's is its 
own, you know, it's a disease, there's pathology, it's documented, it's reproducible. And it's kind of a disservice because there is a lot of other types of dementias that have, you know, fascinating presentations and, you know, just a mixture of a lot of different things that are hard to diagnose. And I I think, you know, recognizing each one as a separate entity is, is very important. So is all dementia Alzheimer's? No. So unfortunately, when you're assessing for Alzheimer's, um, it can take months, even years, definitively. And a lot of times, unfortunately, people are just diagnosed with dementia, uh, not other, otherwise special. And it, it's part specified. of that because, like, what I remember reading in medical school was that you can't definitively diagnose unless you do, like, an autopsy of the brain. Correct. Definitively. Okay. However, there are tests that can localize which part of the brain is not functioning. Mm-hmm. So that's absolutely correct. So usually when they present... Um, a family member, caretakers, close, even close friends sometimes accompany the patient to an appointment, um, and I'm talking about the assessment. Usually a behavioral specialist, such as a neuropsychologist, neuropsychiatrist, neurocognitive specialist, um, and there are not many. So these appointments will you know, take, take months to get, um, unfortunately, um, but you know, if you you know, make the appointment still. It's it's important if if you have concerns. So uh, these the family members, people close to the patient, will remark on uh, changes that they've noticed. Um, memory, and even the patient might say, I, I've noticed this too. Uh, misplacing items, getting lost, possibly some behavioral change. Uh, maybe they're a little bit more irritable, more withdrawn, and later maybe recognizing faces. Now, these, the symptoms that I just mentioned, some of them are other uh, types of dementia. So still, because you don't know when you bring mm-hmm. someone in for testing, you, yeah. you, don't, you have no idea. So the preliminary tests that are done, blood tests, vitamins, um, and it's important to first rule out depression only because it's treatable and reversible and you know, you want to go for the things that are easier to treat first. So, Anna, can you tell us about why maybe somebody would get dementia and depression confused in an older individual? Yeah, so often depressed individuals, when you're like, so a typical test that you do when you're concerned about cognitive functioning in the hospital or in the outpatient setting, you either do an MMSC, which stands for Mini Mental Status Exam, or a MOCA, which I forget exactly. What is it? Montreal... Uh, oh, something cognitive, cognitive assessment. assessment. Yeah. And MOCA is actually a, the preferred method, but MMSC people are more familiar with, so they use it more often. You could do it more off the top of your head. Yeah, like yeah, that. exactly. So with these tests, um, or really anything in general, a depressed person might just say, I don't know. They'll have a lot of I don't know answers, hmm. which for someone who's not trained could seem like, They don't know. Yeah, they really don't know, but it's just because they don't have the motivation. Whereas like demented people, they'll often confabulate answers they don't know. They'll make something up. They want to try to answer. So that's a little bit of uh, the differentiation. But really, it should come out when you do one of those tests, whether that's that's really, truly, it should make it clear whether there's depression or dementia. So and I learned that in med school, but I still find it applicable (laughs) today. And what about in terms of their symptoms or their presentation? So, you know, um, a lot of it, some of it can be collateral because demented and depressed people both might have the issue of not being able to give you a history on themselves, right? So in an ideal world, there's someone with them, like a partner or a relative, or that you can contact and you can find out more about. And like with a depressed person, it's going to be like, you know, often there's an inciting event that happened that contributed to their depression, some change in lifestyle, but Grief. it can be changes. Yeah, exactly. Especially with elderly people, like if they lost their spouse, that could definitely make them depressed. Or like if they lost someone, they're losing a lot of people. There's a lot of changes. So changes in sleep, um, changes in appetite would be the two biggest things to look for. Not engaging in activities that they used to engage a lot in, like hobbies or things like that. Whereas like a demented person... It's more of like confusion is going to be the main presenting Mm. thing. You know, 
it, they might be forgetting to eat. They might have changes in appetite because they're forgetting to eat or they forgot that they ate. So now they're overeating and gaining weight. Um, and, you know, it would be a little bit. So usually with a good history, you can sort of clarify the two. The reality, though, is like if someone could be demented and depressed and it's you know, it's not really going to hurt someone to trial an antidepressant. So mm. if it's if you really can't clarify between like mild dementia or like depression, you could probably still go ahead and attempt to treat the depression and see if it helps the patient. Okay. Um, well, yeah, a lot of times because of the diagnosis and these changes that they may also get depressed yes. at the same time. So. Yes. Thank you. So just to piggyback off of, you mentioned the mocha. It's actually, I prefer it. I'm very bored of doing the MMSA, just the same mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, I like the mocha better too. I love the mocha. Um, and it basically, and it's easy to give the test because it breaks down which cognitive domains you're testing. So mm-hmm. there'll be like kind of like a map sequence tracing thing, copying an object, um, like for visual spatial executive, uh, some vocabulary, memory testing, it, it, it's all there, naming. Um, and <laughs> they, I have to say, uh, no offense, Mocha people, you guys are obviously brilliant. I, and maybe this is me, the middle animal in the uh, one of the, the original oh Mocha gosh. is a, what is it? It's a rhinoceros. Rhinoceros, but people say hippopotamus a lot. I say hippo and I, they'll say hippo yeah. and I'm like, yep, that's right. And like, the attending I'm with or whatever. But like, like, you know, it's not, no, (laughs) but it's always like, it's also like a fund of knowledge thing. Like, does everyone in the world really know the difference? Is it a sign of actual cognitive decline if they don't know the difference? Cause I think I've gotten confused a couple times too. Me me too. I'm just not that great with animals. Right. (laughs) And, but then the, I've seen another one that was used and they have a donkey that looks like a horse because the legs are not short enough and the tail doesn't have that like eeyore thing going on i i'm gonna i think i'm just gonna submit a complaint yeah seriously (laughs) make more animals like if you put a penguin in there no one's gonna get confused if they can't identify that it's a penguin then you know they have a cognitive issue right i i can't it and you know what for me if if i was somebody gave me that test and I was on the receiving end of it, I would probably be so frustrated that I missed that animal that I wouldn't give, like, I, I would yeah. do very badly on the re- It would just bother me yeah. on the rest of the test. I think I've seen that happen a few times. <laughs> so um, I, it's really, you. they have, like, naming all the words that begin with F in a certain amount of time. There's a lot of different things that it tests. Um, and then, so like I said, memory, vocabulary, executive function is um, the, it's not, you know, your ability to be a president or anything like that. It's your ability to plan and execute tasks. So it involves a very, a a much higher level. Um, And when we screen elderly people for living at home safely, we often ask things like, how would you make a meal? Or how would you, you know, lay out your clothes? So we're looking for that planning. Yeah. So this one is cool. We also test morality and emotional reactions. Ooh. Have you heard of the trolley problem? No. Okay. So Do tell. <laughs> you have a, uh, and we'll post these on, I guess, our Twitter. I found the, I knew what it was, but I found this particular, uh, it's like a picture of it on the conversation.com. So you, you are a conductor of some sort, and you have a trolley coming down the tracks and you can there's people there's one person standing on one of the diversion routes and then there's a group of five people standing on the other and you can you have the ability to divert the trolley so if you pull the push the lever the trolley will divert the five people but kill one person mm-hmm. but if you do nothing then five people die Okay. And it's interesting. There's a lot of um, like conversations and controversies, not really controversies, but different reasons people would pick different answers. But you're supp- the right thing to do is pull the lever so that the one person dies, even though I, I think that's the right answer. To yeah, me, obviously, I would be, I hope. If, again, if somebody were giving me this test, I would be like, 
I don't understand why everybody can just move out of the way. Because I'll even show you the picture. Doesn't it look like everybody... I mean, obviously, it's well, supposed to I be mean, an abstract I, I thought. Feel like, honestly, it looks like these people are all attempting suicide. And it's like... <laughs> Especially... <laughs> like... Not to make a joke of that, but like, seriously, they're really setting it up that way. So... That's so interesting. You know? Like, why are they all standing there? Like, the only reason that I know of that people stand on train tracks while a train is trolley or whatever is coming straight towards them is because there's okay but like they could get off unless they're trying to kill themselves isn't that interesting that's in your psychiatrist mind that's what you thought and in my like runner mind or my practical mind i'm like they could definitely move this would never happen yeah well that's what i'm saying the only reason (laughs) they wouldn't move is if they're wishing for death so maybe grant the wish of one person versus five or you could grant five wishes (laughs) Well, you know, and maybe that's what's going on in the minds of some of people who answer the other ones. They have, they think they're doing euthanasia or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah. And I think I, when I said do nothing, I was like, well, you're pulling the lever. So you're, you're committing murder technically. I mean, I would pull the lever to put one person in danger versus five right but you know i can see why people could make arguments for other things i'm not touching that lever i don't know i'm gonna walk away i really (laughs) well true you could also walk away um and there's an argument for that as well like i just don't want to be involved and if these people choose not to walk off the track that's their fault you know so there are different arguments i was only half kidding when i said if someone supports euthanasia that they would just not pull the lever there was a a touch of seriousness because I know some people think like that so yeah so let me ask you and again this is completely just conversation it has nothing to do with any of our opinions do you think that this is a fair thing to to test I mean so I think that you just have to think about someone's answer and why they give the reasons why like in psych we do some things like you'll ask proverbs like okay what does it mean when it says someone who lives in like a glass house shouldn't throw rocks or whatever Mm -hmm. and you just sort of like there's obviously you know a lot of us know okay well you break your house is the in quotes correct answer um i see you thinking right now (laughs) but any okay well Okay, so clearly some of you are going to have to think about this. No, but it means that you shouldn't go around talking talking smack about people if you have demons in your like if well, you have Yeah, but your you're own. getting really really intense. But the that's most their I answer. can expect from my Okay, no, but they can give like a con, but it's it's a concrete answer to say you shouldn't like break your own glass windows or whatever. But it still tells you a lot about the person. Like if someone's like some people give answers that literally do not make sense at all. So just like with this, it would give you insight if someone if someone can formulate an answer and a reason mm, why, gotcha. whether or not, like, clearly our minds both went different places, but that's just because <laughs> I've been giving this to patients too often, and they usually don't know the true meaning behind Proverbs. So I just look for, can they say something that makes reasonable sense? And I'm like, okay, cool, let's move on. But like a lot of people can't even give like a sensical, they just say something nonsense in response. So I think with this type of thing, you know, there's no perfect answer. You're just looking for, can someone give you an answer that's thought out and makes right. sense? And I guess I would accept just even the working through the dilemma out loud. Like if I do nothing, five people, if I yes, call it one person. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. so it's, can this person think this out or, or are they just like giggling and looking at you and saying something nonsensical, which is a sign right. of like, cognitive issues are occurring exactly so the next one is the footbridge dilemma oh geez am i gonna <laughs> fail this one i'm just i want to hear what you have to say about it oh my God. so um you are on a bridge i don't know why there's no railing on this bridge and again there's the runaway train is coming down the, i don't know who's driving this train so you can okay so i'll show you the picture and we'll post this. So you can either push that one person who looks like he was about to jump anyway. You can push him into the way of that train and prevent to possibly block the train from killing these people. And this one is different, I think, because it says that 
you are potentially stopping the tram. So it might not even work. In that case, you would kill six people, that guy and those five. So I so think this one's different. My my answer, is there like, okay, so I have to ask, is there like water on the sides of them? Is that why I they think can't you, move? You have to assume that these people cannot move. Okay. I would not push the person because like why why then the other person could push you like why are they why aren't why wait why aren't you jumping if you care altruism to save the five people and you could potentially stop the tram by one large person so this is a little guy and that's a big guy okay so it's me versus like someone who's like six five and 300 pounds right that would have a better chance push that person what's going to happen is i'm going to try to push them and i'm going to fall down in front of them Right. So this one is actually a little bit more complex then because you have the option of altruism. So I would not do anything. Right. I'm not going to shove the person next to me in front of a tram. Right. That's the other you thing. Know, You're- just for the possibility of saving the five people, like, you know, I'll say some prayers for them up there, send good vibes, thoughts yeah. and prayers, but like I'm not throwing someone to their death in hopes of saving the other people. So there, there's two things I want to say about this. I just, like, I should have looked into this more before because it's so much deeper. You're standing next to the person versus just pulling a, rev, a lever somewhere yeah. else. So there's more, you're personally... I honestly think if someone would shove the person next to them in front of the tram for the possibility of saving the five people below that they're a psychopath. They just wanted to murder that person. Right. That's my opinion. <sighs> Tell us what you think. We should probably like start a Reddit or something because I would love to. I just, this is just two of us. I would, I got to hear what other people think. I thought of something else that these tests test or assess for. If you, and I was kind of doing it myself. Well, why can't those people move? They can't move. Just answer the question assuming they can't move. Well, I don't know why they can't move. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the ability to just focus on the question like, no, they, this is the circumstance. Don't worry about why they can't move. Just, yeah. You know what I mean? I think that that is also a, a paying attention, like, your ability to, like, switch your frame yeah. of thought. I think it's just, like, it's the same thing. Can someone give an answer that makes sense? Yeah. That's well thought out. It doesn't matter what the answer is, you know? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I just, I think it's such an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've never, I never knew of these things. Thank you. I feel like I've been exposed to a lot of suicide and homicide in the past five minutes. Hypothetically. <laughs> Hypothetically, <laughs> but feels very real to me. Yeah. No, I, let me know if you use that at all in the future. Yes. How that goes. Uh, I don't think I will. <laughs> Imaging. <laughs> I could talk about that all day. It really is. I've ne- <laughs> I can't believe I've never heard of this before, to be honest. So, um, you know, everybody likes imaging. You know, you want to just, oh, can we just get an MRI to rule it out? The MRI is to rule out other things like strokes or masses. Uh, if you have a huge tumor in the frontal lobe that controls behaviors and things like that, um, that's important to, to rule out. But it can show the brain shrinking, we call it atrophy, in uh, places that may be a pattern specific to that type of dementia. For example, in Alzheimer's disease, the frontal lobes and the temporal lobes, we can post pictures again, um, are affected the most. So taking that a step further, you can do um, what they're called PET scans, uh, posit- positron emission tomography. And this can give us information about which part of the brain is affected, the different structures, different lobes, because they correlate with the different types of dementia and different symptoms. So it uses a radioactive tracer called uh, fluorodeoxyglucose, or FDG, which is taken up and metabolized by healthy tissues so you can distinguish the uptake from the areas of the disease brain. And there's all these different patterns. And I specifically remember when I was like, oh, you know what, I, it's been a while, I don't think I've ever really seen that. And I was in clinic, and I was reading about it, and my next patient <laughs> showed up, and sure enough, it was to go over a PET scan. So weird. So, it was like... The planet is looking out for us. Yeah. They want us to know what we're talking about on here. And, and more importantly, talking about with the patient. Yes. I was like, oh, I just read all about that. 
Yeah. Made you a much more intelligent physician that day. Yeah. <laughs> that day. <laughs> Just that day. <laughs> um, so that's, that's really all we can do. We don't harp on imaging. It's really just to rule out things and get more information to help us, but it doesn't really definitively, you know, make a diet. Like I said, a lot of this is you could do a brain biopsy and see if you see anything, but it's autopsy or just going on our clinical assessment. So all of these diagnoses start with a diagnosis of mild, moderate, or severe cognitive impairment or MCI. And you, you really, unfortunately... I hate to say this, but you need to establish this diagnosis to, in order for insurance to pay for the MRI. You have to prove that this is needed. So a lot of times people will have this diagnosis. So impairment in this in this scenario doesn't does not interfere with activities of daily living, and it may or may not progress to Alzheimer's. And it needs to be in one or more cognitive domains. So either attention, memory, visual, spatial, language, and again, executive function. So if it does progress to Alzheimer's, I will tell you it is the most common form of dementia. Um, genetics um, inherited is uncommon. And if it is inherited, it's autosomal dominant. It presents very young before age 65. But aren't there some, like, not for the early onset, but for the later onset, there are genetics that can that contribute to it? I know my uh, 23andMe told me I had some. I was like, thanks. I'm going to end up like my grandma, which is my worst fear. Correct. But autosomal, if it's autosomal dominant, you would, it's just, it runs in a family. Like, mm -hmm. it's more common in that family. So, yeah, there are a lot. There's so many. And I will tell you, I was talking to um, another one of my friends who's a psychiatrist, and mm -hmm. she was studying for her boards, and she said she could not – so neuro and psych have the same boards. She could not believe how many questions were on the genetics of Alzheimer's. There's tons They just of keep genes. putting so much genetics on our psych exams, and I literally, like – die inside every single time like I only take the prite now which is the in-service exam but I'm just like like literally on one of them there was like a question a few years ago about like um like what is this gene that influences your metabolism of like nicotine or something and it was like alpha 8e beta blah blah and I was like why it's the future would I of know medicine. this you please just, stop <laughs> you just mentioned 23andme true it's but it's the future but like uh, me knowing those genetics doesn't contribute to what a great psychiatrist I am. It really does. Just saying. It doesn't. Um, yeah, because I, I, it's easy to make a question like that. Yeah. Is my answer. Oh, true. So it's uh, presenilin two on chromosome one, and it, it all. If I were to go into all of the genes, it would be like mind numbing because it's it's. Uh, it's AD two gene on chromosome four, and this gene with the number two, but that's on chromosome 12. Like, you, it, there's not even a good way to, like, memorize them because the numbers are – there's a lot. But it's important, just not necessarily in this domain. Maybe, you know, genetics, research, uh, counseling, things like that. So it, it is important. That's not what we're trying to say. It's just that we have to focus on the patient in front of us, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Alzheimer's presents as uh, impairment of declarative memory um, – or, re or recent specific events. So immediate recall and um, distant past events remains intact. So if I were to give you three words and ask you about them like a second later, that's intact. Um, and then also visual spatial. So you're losing things, getting lost in seemingly familiar places, uh, things like that. So uh, testing the PET scan that I talked about before will show a decrease in activity in the parietal and temporal lobe. Oh, I said that wrong before. So my, I meant to say parietal and temporal because parietal lobe is what gives you the spatial uh, recognition, things like that. So on both sides. So you see it, there's a decrease in activity, meaning those are you know diseased parts of the brain. This corresponds to, like I said, the memory and the spatial orientation. And on autopsy, you see um, kind of just also to touch on the pathology, you see deposition of proteins that were misformed. You have like tangles of, of nerves um, and all, you know, just 
you can only see that really on autopsy. So the deposition of the amyloid protein. Yeah, I chose not to really go into the pathology because it's it's a lot. Yeah. It, and um, just all of these that I'll talk about, just a couple more, they all have to do with protein that is damaged and it's in places where it shouldn't be in the brain. Not unlike CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, actually mm-hmm. very similar uh, very similar autopsy findings. Interesting. Are you watching the Aaron Hernandez uh, Netflix special? I have not yet, but I am familiar with his story, so I will probably watch it. Have you watched it? I am halfway through the second episode. How's it going? <sighs> not a mention of... Let me finish it, and then I'll let you know. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Review TBD. (laughs) Pending. Um, Everyone check it out, and in the future episode, we'll all talk about it. So, um, treatment. So, again, it's thought that these people's brains have a decrease in brain cholinergic function, which is basically a neurotransmitter interaction and we can use drugs targeted at preventing the breakdown of this neurotransmitter and I have to say and I think the commercials I think everyone does a really good job about making a point that it does not slow down the progression of the disease it's a purely symptomatic treatment so um the first one there's probably four or five that are commonly used, but I'll just talk about two. Dinepazil, also known as Aricept, it's a acetylcholinesterase inhibitor, so it inhibits the breakdown of this neurotransmitter, so it's more readily available for neurons. And uh, Memantine, also known as Namenda, it protects neurons uh, responsive to acetylcholine by inhibiting another neurotransmitter, glutamate, via the NMDA receptor, I feel like we talk about that receptor every episode, <laughs> but uh, med students, anyone studying for any type of tests, Namenda, NMDA, and Memantine also has N and M in it. So there you go. That's really helpful. And how do you have a trick to remember, like, which is the one you use for mild cases versus severe? Because this has shown up on so many exams for me now. Yeah. Uh, Dinepazil, Aricept is used for mild because they're shorter words and mm. memetine is used because it's usually always listed later mm-hmm. in all the, it's, it, it's just, that's just great. That's how, like, that's how I mean, it's little works. things like that. I usually do like alphabetical <laughs> order. Like it is also early. alphabetical order. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like Dinepazil <laughs> earlier in the alphabet. You know, have you ever had a patient just come in on Dinepazil and they don't have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's? Yeah, I actually have seen that. What? Mm-hmm. That confuses me because, and I bring it up because these medications, and I talk, we talked about this in episode two, they're, they're, you have to weigh the risks and the benefits. You don't want these cholinergic medications, you know, in somebody who's at risk already for falling, confusion, um, stomach upset is a big issue if they're already having problems eating. So, you know, it's, it's, you have to kind of think about that. Yeah. Uh, so just a couple more cool, um, interesting types of dementia. Uh, this one actually is, uh, it's pretty devastating, a dementia with Lewy bodies. It's the second most common type after Alzheimer's, and it's uh, kind of like a triad of visual hallucinations, cognitive impairment, and then Parkinsonism. And the reason I emphasize this is because you can have, in Parkinson's, you can have dementia, but you have to have the Parkinson's first, and mm-hmm. then the symptoms develop. So that's also another big point. Um, on boards. The hallucinations can be scary, uh, but not always. Sometimes there's, uh, there are people confusing objects for small children. Um, and, uh, it's thought that Robin Williams. Yes. Yes, he did. He had it very, very severely. And I get, I got so, uh, I guess, annoyed when he, you know, he did die by suicide, 
but he was not depressed. I knew you were going to say that. It really, it was the most frustrating thing when everyone was like, he looked so happy. And then, you know, he was just struggling with such severe depression that he just took his life. His wife came out and made a statement. She did. That he had severe Lewy body dementia, that this was related to, when you have severe Lewy body dementia, you're not in the right frame of mind it's no. like being psychotic and it, it it goes very quickly it's yeah. a it's a very progressive so it, essentially he was more in a state of psychosis when he ended his life than depressed so please stop clumping him in with you know someone who is a, a victim of serious depression when he you know i just think people it should be identified as what it what it is and he had a really really severe neurological disease that was going on when he had his autopsy done i think the person physician who did it said it was the worst case he'd ever seen and that his brain was like he was surprised he was even alive then oh my god that that's so sad and and i had i had the same not as fear as you i had the same annoyance though because people were like yeah they say that you know comedians are the most depressed and they only make people laugh on the outside because what they're feeling yeah it oh my god it was so annoying I was just like oh you guys like I I can tell that maybe people who are posting these things they have good intentions but they're spreading misinformation and they're speaking like they're all psychiatrists or something and they're not (laughs) um that's that is so true. And and I like I said earlier, I think it's a huge disservice because these diseases need recognition. Yes, they do. They do. You you have to know what you're dealing with because you have to know what to expect and they're very different. You don't see Parkinsonism in Alzheimer's like yeah. unless they also have Parkinson's. I don't know Robin Williams, but I agree with his wife in that like if someone's spouse thinks that they would have never done something in their right mind, I happen to agree with that like assessment and uh, this is a horrible thing to say but I almost feel like I'm a little relieved to hear that he was in not in his right mind because depression is you know is a terrible thing and to take your life because you're depressed versus you're not yourself yeah does that make no I mean I think um a lot of times there you know you feel there's a almost feeling worse because the person wasn't in their right mind and if they were in their right mind would they have done this and obviously there these things are a spectrum but any psychiatrist will tell you like for example psychosis or mania the person part of it is that the person lacks capacity and doesn't realize the consequences of what they're doing anymore and is not in their right mind which is where like a depressed person who a depressed person can be thinking clearly right you know i mean people will argue that sure but i don't think that automatically because you want to end your life and because you do end your life that you lack capacity although that's probably a pretty uh uh, controversial thing to say so don't come after me this is just my own opinion please please don't come after (laughs) us for this little blurb that we're talking about now but i just think it makes me feel better because i i Again, this is totally unfounded, but I maybe a, like a, I give a higher degree of suffering to someone who's depressed versus someone who does. I does that make sense? Like I feel like he was he. I don't know. It's it's just it's just different. They're very different things. It's like one in one thing. Like when you're severely depressed, I think you can still be yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if something like if you have Louis body dementia I don't think you're yourself any longer right. and the and the the brain autopsy shows that yeah you do a brain autopsy of someone who was depressed and ended their life by suicide they're not going to have the these, pathology the pathology that shows that like oh my god there's no way that this person like knew what was going on or was in their right mind or anything like n- actually their brain probably looks pretty normal yeah obviously there are exceptions but yeah. generally yeah it's just, it's so sad. But where, you know, the armchair psychiatrists out there hey. fail to, you know, realize the Michael J. Fox uh, Foundation um, actually talks a little bit about it. And if you're curious to, you know, if you're looking for resources, you can uh, click on their article. Um, 
it's called What Richard Sees, and it's all about his hallucinations and kind of how that, you know, how that, what that means and what that looks like to family members. So uh, the pathology that you see are these accumulations of Lewy bodies in neurons. Um, and the treatment is a little tricky because you, if you want to treat their Parkinsonism with Parkinson's medication like Cinemet and Levodopa, it can actually worsen hallucinations. It can at certain doses. But if they're totally, if they're, and I'm not sure the degree of Parkinson's, but if they're to the point where they're rigid and they're freezing and they're really having a hard time ambulating, you have to weigh the risks and the benefits. And uh, antipsychotics, which we also talked about in episode two, um, can cause death in dementia patients. I think it's a black box warning, but again, you have to weigh the risks and benefits. So if it's necessary, you do need an an antipsychotic. Which one do you think? I happen to know the answer because my friend who's a geriatrician actually educated me on this. He told me it's Clozarel. Yeah. And that's what we talked. We even, we hailed it. We regaled. Shout out to Dr. Lenny Powell, (laughs) who was my, one of my uh, fellows when I was a medical student. Now he's an attending. Thanks, Dr. Powell. (laughs) So yeah, clozapine when in doubt. Um, and then the next type of dementia is frontotemporal dementia. And dun, dun, dun. yeah, and this is interesting. The, Psychiatrists have a lot of, a lot of, uh, we interact with these patients a lot. You, I can <laughs> see why. However, okay, let me, I'll get to this at the end. I have a great like question about this. So it, um, it can be familial and if it is chromosome, Shout out to chromosome 17Q21 is implicated. That's probably a board question. This will be on the exam. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The onset is young, usually less than age 60. That's very sad. Yeah, that's really sad. And um, basically the pathology is the degeneration of the frontal and temporal lobes uh, due to uh, neuron loss from uh, abnormal protein accumulation. Are you picking up on a pattern? So... This, there's multiple types. Um, one is the behavioral variant. So these very interesting behavioral changes, um, new impulsivity, um, but at the same time could have social withdrawal, um, lack of inhibition, uh, but also poor hygiene, kind of that whole disorganization. Yeah. Um, Increased appetite, hyperphagia is what it's called. And I thought this was interesting. They can also have a new sudden interest in artistic hobbies. I don't know if I heard that before. I just know that like on psych units, we do end up with a lot of a lot of our geriatric population is people who the way we would write it in a note is dementia with behavioral disturbances. And, um, you know, they're very agitated. They're hitting people, you know, that's usually the big thing. They're getting physically violent. So they end up getting admitted to the psych unit and then we're trying to treat them with generally antipsychotics is going to be the way to go to just help calm them down a bit. Despite the, uh, the black box warning, it's, it's important. It's more, you don't want them hitting people. You know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, it has, I mean, you know, you can't, they, they can really be to the aggressive to the point where they are legitimately hurting their caretaker Yeah, and they're not capable of taking care of themselves on their own. So in some ways I think the black box warning is almost silly because like what, like clearly the way they are now is not compatible with living. Right. So yes, they might have this black box warning there might be the side effect that they're going to be a little more sedated or things like that but they can't just be like attacking everyone the rest of their life and again these are for if it's only this diagnosis that they have these are normal these were previously normally high functioning individuals yes Yes. and they're let's say 50 years old and now you know, this is a 180. Yeah. And like, obviously often the more, more common thing is that it doesn't affect them until they're older. And you know, it's an 85 year old who's now the nursing home had him brought to the emergency department because he was attacking staff or something like that. Like, yeah. Um, 
But what's interesting is under this umbrella of FTD, um, again, this is all because of the, sim- the similarities in pathology, is uh, so we, I just spoke about the behavioral variant. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the aphasia variants. And this, this is, it gets confusing, but I'll just briefly, you have the semantic type, also known as progressive fluent aphasia, which is um, the speech is of normal fluency, meaning it flows, but the vocabulary is impaired. Um, and there's this is accompanied by difficulty with comprehension, naming, and recognizing faces. So the next one is progressive non-fluent aphasia, and this is where the speech is fragmented, it does not flow, uh, and the speaker is unable to produce speech at a normal rate. However, the comprehension is intact, and the patient has trouble naming and finding words. And then there's logopenic, which is word-finding difficulty and a slow rate of speech, and it's interestingly easier to comprehend single words versus entire sentences for these patients. So my, I only have one more type of dementia to talk about, or two. So just really quick, my favorite question to ask, like, it's, it's a terrible, like, I just like to get to know where people, like, are coming from. Would you rather have, would you rather lose your mind or lose your body? So I'm talking about, like, locked in, uh, ALS, like not being able to control your body or would you rather have this type of dementia where you totally lose your mind? Yeah. So I always thought dementia was like my worst, worst fear because I, you know, I had a grandma who had the, like the most severe version of it and it was really terrible to just see someone essentially be a vegetable and then have stupid family members who are getting all of the quote, you know, life support things where really the person's dead. So just let them die. It's my opinion, but I am, and actually, you know, 95% of physicians are going to be for let someone go when they're no longer mentally there Mm -hmm. instead of getting uh, trachs and pegs and all this ridiculous stuff. Um, That's my opinion. So I thought that was the worst. And then when I learned about locked in syndrome where, you know, you cannot move your body at all, but you are aware of this. You mm-hmm. are locked in your body like mm-hmm. a prison. I think that is the worst, absolute worst thing. So uh, when we when we talk about stroke, we say, you know, the, the blood vessel that was blocked, you know, can cause, you could have a stroke and, and it can cause death or worse. And yeah. I, we kind of just say that, and I don't think people, we kind of skim over it. People don't say, wait, what's worse than death? And locked-in yeah. syndrome is I mean, pretty and, and the reality close. is that there are patients with this and their family members, perhaps due to not understanding, will select to keep them on support. So, which, I mean, my own belief for myself and anyone that I would care about that I would have any power over would be that if I can't be myself, I don't want to be alive. Yeah. Especially since what, what, what is being alive besides being yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And what you love. And, and I love when the best thing for me, when we're having a palliative care, like a goals of care conversation is when a family member speaks up and say, says, Hey, mom said if she couldn't cook or she couldn't eat chocolate cake, or she doesn't want to, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's all she wanted. And I'm like, okay, well, in this current yeah. stage, she's not going to be able to. And, and yeah, like just having that simple, what makes you you? Yeah, you know, makes these these conversations and these decisions a little easier. Yeah, there's a lot of people being selfish and not, and there's there's more to this that we won't get into today. Well, like, we'll need a we need a palliative care. Jerry, we're gonna have yeah. to have like a specialist when we get or to our like episode. at least a critical yeah care yeah, doc yeah. to join the discussion something mm-hmm. like that there's a lot more contributing factors but essentially i am one of the things that there's some things that if i think about them make me angry mm. <laughs> who would have guessed just some things <laughs> just some things and one of them is like our end of life care in america and how like people are essentially we give a lot of autonomy to families in america to make decisions and they don't have the knowledge to you know, really understand what they're deciding. Or the guilt. Yeah. Like they live out somewhere not near their parent and they just came and this is, they haven't seen them in months and they want to hang on for as long as possible. Yeah. And then, or like they make these decisions to keep their 
relative in quotes alive because I don't consider it alive. And then they go gallivant back to wherever they came from and don't like deal with, you know, the decisions they're making. We could, we could jump down (laughs) a rabbit hole. We'll stop now. We'll stop. (laughs) So the reason I asked the question that I asked, would you rather lose your body or your mind is because, and here I go, there I go down my rabbit hole. They, this, uh, frontotemporal dementia and the variants are linked to motor neuron disease. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that you could have both. Ugh, the worst. Now, here's what I think, and this is opinion, but I would love to study it. Is that a defense mechanism? So if you start having your motor neuron disease where you can't walk, you're trached and pegged, wouldn't you want to not yes. be aware of it? That's for sure. That's my theory. Mm-hmm. Well, preferably I'd be dead, but. Right, but. If that's not the case, then I'd like to not be aware. You would be dead. <laughs> because if you didn't have the trach and peg, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the whole, her, her, the progression was to die, but it but was prolonged. now people and, and are now. not accepting death. They think there should be a medical answer for everything. And the reality is we are not gods. No. Although some doctors think they are. <laughs> a shout out to those ones. You can find them on TikTok. <laughs> and Instagram. So, um, okay, so that's that. And then there's vascular dementia, which is basically just accumulations of strokes over time, which lead to a stepwise cognitive. It's a very specific type of dementia. It's subcortical. So, again, this is something that you would best diagnose with one of the battery of tests that I mentioned earlier. And then you have... Um, Korsakoff encephalopathy. Do you want to talk about that? Okay, so you're talking about like what happens when you are a chronic alcoholic. Yes, and you first have Wernicke's and then you... Do, well, I think it's Wernicke's encephalopathy and then Korsakoff dementia. It's like the end stage of it. Okay, so what that is... So it, it's thought to be due to a thiamine deficiency, mm-hmm. B1, chronically, because alcoholics are... If they're like a, a classic alcoholic, their calories are not coming from food. They're coming from alcohol. So um, if you – I won't go into – I don't really remember the metabolism of it, but it, it, you need to give thiamine before you give uh, glucose because you can cause this an irreversible, uh, essentially, thiamine deficiency in dementia. You give a banana bag. Yep. <laughs> you sure do. Because it's – and you know what? I have to say – we are just going on tangents of, about everything now. Banana bags are ripping apart. <laughs> I I appreciate a banana bag, but does it have to be so obvious? Like, you've had a bad night. You're being admitted because you were too drunk to be, you know, medically stable. Yeah. You're in the hospital. You're usually in the hallway because the, all the rooms are full. And you have this bright neon yellow bag <laughs> hanging up. And it's just like your scarlet letter. It's like, here you go. <laughs> Well, it's everyone knows why you're here, staff. Everyone knows why you're here, <laughs> but staff already knows because generally I, that person is a frequent flyer. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, Your best friend is back. <laughs> you can actually also get uh, Wernicke's encephalopathy um, from uh, vitamin deficiencies if you've had some type of gastric bypass surgery or you're you have anorexia, things like that. So it's it's really not just alcoholism, but most more commonly I think it is. So Wernicke's is uh, a triad of um, you have your eye movements. There's a either a palsy or some type of nystagmus. Um, you're you're off balance. You're ataxic and you're confused. And that can progress to the dementia Korsakoff, which is uh, classically denoted by confabulations, where, again, like you said earlier, they're, they're not really lying. They, they're lying, but they think it's the truth. Like, they won't say, I don't know. They'll, you know, you said, oh, where do you live? And they'll be like, well, I used to live in Greece, and then I moved to China. And, uh, you and know. And don't they have a very, like, weird, this whole speech is just weird, because I think I'm remembering from when I was on my neuro rotation that there was one time that then we went out of the room and, you know, neuro rounds are crazy. It's like 10 people on it. But the <laughs> neurological attending. We're a team. <laughs> yeah. 
the neurological attending neurologist was said that the patient had that and they used a term to describe like their speech or something. But anyways, it was real weird to watch. I've only seen this like once, but the, the speech pattern was just very different, but I don't know if I'm mistaking that, but yeah, I think stayed in my something memory. with prosody, like it, it is different. Um, but it's just, it's just confabulation. You, they're not lying to be deceitful. It's yeah. just like when people are blind to a certain extent, they actually think that they can see, but they can't. They're not lying. It's that's the brain. Mm-hmm. So that's a type of a type of dementia. It's a dementia that it can be reversed if caught early in the Wernicke's phase and treated. So there you have it. Those are the types of dementia. Not to be confused with temporary confusion or hospital delirium, which is sudden onset, usually worse if it's in the setting of stroke or brain injury, or at least that's only when I see it, so I assume that I can't get worse. Um, It's more of a problem with paying attention to things versus uh, memory, and that's classically the distinction. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have hyperactive delirium where you're agitated and hypoactive where you're withdrawn, lethargic. And we will definitely do an episode on delirium in the future. So don't worry that we're not covering too much about it now. You don't think I'm covering enough? It, you definitely are not. <laughs> it needs like several episodes well, to it on the own. Well, I just feel like I've, I'm tired of hearing my voice. So I'm just, <laughs> this is actually all I wrote about it either. And it's sundowning um, is kind of what they, the term for it. And that's actually the colloquial term. A lot of families will know what you, you mean um, when you're a physician and you're talking about it. And um, I don't know about you, but every time... <laughs> I have to tell, I don't know. We we just opened a new building. Um, actually, it's been open, but, you know, there are beautiful rooms with, like, wall-to-ceiling windows and, you know, just lights and pictures and the, a beautiful view. Um, and every time, you know, we'll get report that, oh, the patient, you know, was throwing feces last night. He, like... <laughs> hit a nurse, pulled out his IVs, and I'm like, oh, man, like, you know, I really thought we we were doing everything to kind of prevent that, and we walk in the room, and it's, like, 10 a.m. in the morning, and it's a beautiful, like, winter's day with, like, the, you know, and the, the, the blinds are drawn, like, lights are off. It was almost like, you know, I don't know where they got blackout curtains, but somehow there's always blackout. Like, it's it, yeah. just these things, they're not... It's not hard to just reorient someone's sleep-wake cycle. Awake during the day, asleep at night. And that's not to say that that's all you do. You do need medication, you know, reorienting. Hopefully not restraints, but definitely some type of sedation. But those are easy things to circumvent that. But I don't know. I don't know. So then there's uremic and hepatic encephalopathy. And this is basically from the kidneys and liver a buildup of toxins that is toxic to the brain. Um, you can easily check the function of kidneys with creatinine, with liver. You can check ammonia. However, with ammonia, the value and trend may not correlate with the symptoms. Um, like you, just to know that it's high or to know what it is is important. You treat that with lactulose, so essentially they kind of just poop out all the toxins. So you can check for this on EEG. You can have characteristic slowing um, on brainwave testing. And, you know, just going forward, pharmacy, you know, if, if polypharmacy rather. And uh, if that's causing confusion or, you know, delirium or really anything, if you stop the medications, the offending agents, and it goes away, then it's, that's the case. So uh, future going forward. Genetics, that's the future, and genetic testing. And if you did have, uh, if you did do 23andMe or, or one of those and you got something that said that you were at risk, you know, look you know, look into it. And I, I just feel like there's, like I said, I want to bring it back full circle. There's genetics and then there's your environment and risk factors. And I didn't actually mention, but risk factors include smoking, um, like you said, inactivity, like especially cognitive inactivity, um, hypertension, all the vascular risk factors, um, you know, obesity, because uh, there's a link with uh, sleep apnea. So really just help be healthy. And yeah. um, 
that's all I have to say. Do you have anything else to say? No, because I just interrupted you every single time I had something good to say. Well, but that's the point. That's, <laughs> that's what makes a conversation. I learned some new good things, and I'm sure everyone else will too. So thank you for this consult. Thank you. Thank you.